Friends of the podcast, welcome back to another episode of the What If Project. Uh, this this is the first episode of season three and the first episode of a brand new wild and crazy year. Episode number 75. And uh, today we're sitting down with my friend, uh, Carl Forehand. He's going to talk to us about his book, Apparent Faith. And we'll get to that in just a few moments. Lots of things brewing um, on the horizon for this uh, 2020 year. Uh, this month, January, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek behind the curtain. Uh, this month, there's going to be, uh, each week will be a different interview. We have a different guest coming on. Uh, today, Carl Forehand talked to us about his book. Uh, we're going to also be talking to a friend of mine named Brandon, who grew up in uh, John MacArthur's church. Uh, so if you know, just do a quick Google search and you'll see everything you need to know. He's going to talk to us about um, his experience. Uh, we have Dr. Robin uh, Henderson Espinoza coming on to talk to us about their book, uh, Liberation Theology. We have a lot of great stuff going on. The Naked Pastor, uh, David Hayward, is coming on the podcast. What? Uh, it's going to be so much fun. So if you don't know who he is, go look him up as well. Uh, but all, don't look don't look up Naked Space Pastor. Look up Naked Pastor one word because if you do Naked Space Pastor, I don't know what's going to come up, but you don't want to Google that anyway. So anyway, all of that to say, January is going to be a load of fun. Uh, then in February, we're kicking off a brand new series called Women's Voices You Need to Hear. Uh, a 10, maybe 11 week series uh, with 10 or 11 different female voices uh, that you need to hear. So I have not had any female guests on the podcast yet. And that has been on purpose because I've been thinking about this series where I wanted to bring a whole bunch of women together at once and have them share their voice with you. And so uh, I've been contacting these ladies uh, for a while and some of them all the way back in like last summer. And I'm like, yeah, I'd like to interview you like in, you know, December or January. They're like, well, why are you reaching out to me so early? I'm like, because I'm planning this series. So I need to get a time on the calendar to, to talk with you. So I'm really excited about that. Some really great voices coming on. People like uh, Cindy Wong Brandt is coming on, Diana Butler Bass, Barbara Brown Taylor. So many awesome, awesome voices that you need to hear. So I'm excited about that. Uh, Easter will be coming around right when that series is ending. And I'm working on something pretty wild for Easter. Uh, we're actually going to be doing a four-part series uh, and four back-to-back-to-back-to-back episodes. So Monday, Thursday, uh, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Sunday, four different episodes with four different voices, four different people. Uh, a few of these people I never thought I'd have the chance to talk to, and uh, it's going to be pretty, pretty wild. So that's still in the planning stages. Hopefully it's all going to come together, but that's what's brewing, and we will see where it all goes uh patreon patreon.com slash what if project is a place where you can go to support the show so if this thing has encouraged you inspired you pushed you forward in your faith that is a place where you can show some support financially if you got three dollars a month to spare uh that's the lowest tier all the way up to thirty dollars a month and every tier gets its own reward so a little something for for you so go check it out patreon.com slash what if project and also uh, if you feel like you're wandering out in the wilderness of your faith, you're asking questions, you have doubts, you don't know where to turn, uh, go to the What If Project community Facebook page. It's a closed uh, Facebook group 
where you can go to find other people who are asking questions like you. Um, everybody's in a different spot in their faith. We have some people who are just beginning the journey. Some people have been walking the journey for a long time. Lots of people asking questions, different ideas, different thoughts. Uh, but nobody's arguing. Nobody's bickering. Everybody's just sharing and encouraging each other and pushing each other forward. So it's the place to be in 2020. Go check it out. I'll put the links to that and the links to Patreon um, in the show notes along with um, the book from the great Carl Forehand that we're going to talk about today. So all that to say, um, once again, this is episode number 75. Uh, the first episode of season three, the first episode of a new year, and I am excited to share it with you. So let's get the ball rolling. My conversation with the one and the only Carl Forehand. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed up fancy. Wish I on a pot on go with the rainbow by the time Clancy. Wish I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go ahead and run number check. Wish I had no other same most beat number checks. Wishing for my people. Wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own beach and we bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland. So much for high on demand. Tiptoe around through and high low. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the What If Project Podcast. It's great to have you along today. Uh, today we're sitting down with my new friend Carl Forehand, who wrote a book called Apparent Faith, uh, subtitled What Fatherhood Taught Me About the Father's Heart. So Carl, Welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you along. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. So, Carl, I only know you from, from Facebook, and I'm not even really too sure <clears throat> how we crossed paths. I think it might mm. have had to do with Seth Price and the Can I Say This at Church podcast, but I don't really know. Could be. Uh, but for, could be, right? But yeah. for people who don't know you, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? What do you do? What makes Carl tick? Tell us all the things. Okay. About uh, almost 55 years old. Okay. Um, I was a pastor for about 20 years, bivocationally. Grew up in Oklahoma. Mm. Um, got an associate's degree, a computer degree, and went to Dallas-Fort Worth. And uh, loved that for a while. It's kind of crazy. Mm. Um, there, then eventually made my way to Omaha, um, when some job market things changed and I became a kind of a contractor in Omaha, Nebraska. And I, that was new to me, mm. but also there kind of discovered um, a call to the ministry and, and ended up believing, uh, you know, some of your listeners might not be quite old enough to appreciate Y2K, but. Oh yes. I remember uh, that. <laughs> yeah. When I was, so in 97, I was studying to be a pastor and gave up my computer career, which I was, you know, kind of naming my price back then and mm. took a 50% cut in pay to go be a pastor in a small town and really had a lot of success. It was a fundamentalist type of Bible church. Mm. Uh, I was raised Southern Baptist in that kind of conservative environment, but, but that was what I knew. Mm. And, and that was what I was training to be. And so uh, kind of took the jump, gave up my computer career, and and went into the ministry. Um, rejection was a big thing for me in my life. That and so in ministry, I just tried to fit in. I I tried to find something that was similar to my background, where that would be easy. Uh, but then when I went to a small town, I, I I just employed that same model again, and I tried to fit in. I got really good at fitting in, and kind of became. Um, 
not famous, but you know, well known mm. that I could go into to any kind of tough situation and adapt and um, fit in, um, make them happy, whatever you want to call that. Mm. And it went it went pretty well, except there was, you know, in in small town, small town ministry is uh, especially if it's kind of fear based and things like that um, can have a lot of pain. Mm. So we went through some of that pain. Um, along the way, I picked up a side career as a safety uh, director at an ethanol plant, an alcohol plant, which is kind of weird being a pastor, especially <laughs> in a conservative you know, evangelical right. type of church. And my ministry leaders would kind of make, the, they were careful how they explained what I did. But um, then, uh, you know, about, about five years ago, just I remember saying from the pulpit, um, you know, maybe we should at least admit that we might be wrong. Maybe that's healthy. And I remember saying mm -hmm. that, not really knowing why I was saying it. But then about two, two and a half years ago, became really, really, uh, it just became apparent that I really needed to look at my beliefs and, mm. and to examine them. And I got less and less confident in what I believed. I, there were some big looming doubts. You know, it wasn't just suspicions. It was real genuine doubt mm. about what I believed. And so, you know, talk about it more later on. Yeah. Probably. But, but about two years ago, I began that journey and eventually wrote a book and uh, all the things we're going to talk about probably. Yeah. So when you were standing in the, in the pulpit and you, you said those, those words, two, two questions came to mind because um, I've stood in pulpits before and I can imagine uh, the audiences that I've had in front of me saying something like that would uh, cause eyebrows to be raised or uh, cause mm -hmm. a stir. So first of all, I want to ask you what, what was the response to that? But secondly, also what was going on in your life at the time that led up to that um, that question or that statement that you that you made or that you were wrestling with inside it was just that I could no longer explain um, I, I couldn't dance around those questions any longer yeah um, I was growing and I had um, you know it came to a point one time when I sit down with my adult children and I I was at an IHOP restaurant we were just just getting together and my they like to talk about politics and things like that. And uh, I really don't, but <laughs> Me they, they like it. And they, yeah. they, um, they, um, I realized, you know, all, all my life I wanted them to come to me and say, say, dad, you know, thanks for all the wisdom you gave us. And you're so wise and mm. so helped our lives. And, and you realize when you get older as a parent that that really never happens. <laughs> they don't do that. And, but, mm. But the, what I realized was, as we were just having normal discussion, that I was learning things from my adult children. Mm. And um, when I realized that, it, it was almost like something went off inside me that said, maybe you've been complacent mm. for a number of years. If your children that were raised in the same environment that you've been in for the last 20 years, um, are moving beyond you, mm. um, then maybe you've been complacent. Mm. 
And so I think that just really kind of forced me to go back inside and say, say, what are the things that I might've gotten wrong? Mm. And then it just became, became more, more and more, not just a suspicion, but a, a genuine question mm. that I had to have answers for. Mm. And what was the response of people around you at that time? How did, how did it, how did people feel about that in, yeah, th- in the role that you were in? Yeah, I think, I think, you know, most, mostly people didn't say anything, but you, like you say, you see their eyebrows raise up. <laughs> yeah. It makes them a little uneasy, mm. you know, when you're, when you're living in that area of certainty where everything has to be certain, mm. then and growth is really, really hard. Mm. It's hard to, to move on. It's hard to, to get past some of that. But, but I had one guy in particular that was kind of an ex-pastor. And I remember one day wrestling with the idea of whether I should bake the cake or not. I don't know if you remember that discussion that they had about if a homosexual couple comes mm. to your bakery, you know, should you yep. make the cake for their wedding? Yeah. And I, um, I, I just decided in the, in the message when I was speaking in front of people to um, wrestle with that kind of on stage and in front of people, I've always been really transparent in the way I spoke to people. And so I wrestled with it on stage. And at the end I said, you know what? I think I'd make the cake. Mm. And I remember this guy's head just about exploding right in front of me, <laughs> his face turning red and he's shaking uh. his head and like fighting the urge to walk out of the building. Mm. So you had that, you know, you had the people that just never say anything, but it makes them real uneasy. Mm. Um, but, but even just a few that, that really kind of got, I remember us, you know, we began to do yoga in meditation and things like that. And I remember uh, a couple of people that really, really had a hard time, Mm. not just that they had a hard time with it. They started to, you know, try to incite the crowd Mm. against us. And then, you know, it's people you've been friends with people you've loved people you spent a lot of time with. Mm. And uh, so that was, it was difficult. Yeah. Well, I will, I will say you're, you're involved in our, uh, online Facebook community, uh, the what if project community. And, uh, I know you've had some interactions with people in there and I obviously follow you on Facebook. I see your interactions there. And, uh, as someone who is much further down the road than I am in this journey, um, I just want to say thank you, um, on behalf of myself and those people, because it, you really do have a lot of wisdom to share. Uh, you, you made a very brave and courageous step in um, really choosing to wrestle with these things on the stage and the platform that you were on. And uh, you have paved a way, I think, for a lot of people. And I think you're a, a really big voice into the lives of a lot of people who are wrestling with the same kind of stuff. So uh, thank you yeah, for, for what you do. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, your book is, is called Apparent Faith. So, so let's start there. Uh, what exactly is this, is this book about? I like to ask authors kind of that question off the bat is, you know, if you were in an Uber and uh, you're like five minutes from your stop and the driver's mm-hmm. like, so what do you do? And you're like, I wrote this book. And they're like, oh, it's cool. Yeah. What's it about? Like, what's your answer uh, to what this book is about? Why should we go out and buy it? <laughs> yeah, a lot of times when I answer that question in public, it's, it is kind of tough. Yeah. To do that. And I say it's about my faith journey, but I know if, what if they're really conservative, evangelical, fundamentalist? I'm like, 
I almost want to tell them you're not going to like it probably. <laughs> <laughs> not really a way to sell books, but right? it wasn't my intention. But I, you know, as I was discovering things, I, I was, you know, lucky enough to be around Brian Zahn for a couple of years mm. um, and read some of his stuff and so on. And, and to have some pretty good input. But as, as I'm kind of uncovering things and sorting things out, I decided to do that through the lens, first of all, of Jesus, that I was going to interpret whatever's in the scriptures through the lens of Christ and, and, and let that be my guide. And I know you've done some podcasts recently about that kind of stuff. But um, also, I, I, you know, I tend to be kind of simple and take a simple approach to, to understanding things. So I'm, um, for some reason, I think it was because I read the book by Paul Young called Lies We Believe About God. Yeah. And I can't find my copy of it to verify this, but I think in that book, he kind of opened me up to that idea of thinking about your children and raising your children and, and applying that model to God. In other words, uh, the things I thought about, things I learned while I was a parent um, should have something to teach me about God. Mm. In other words, if I'm a mediocre parent or I'm an above average parent, um, not that I'm better than God, but God can't be worse than me. Mm. And that was kind of the the lens that I put everything through. And, you know, the Sophia sh- uh, scene in uh, in the shack, the, the cave scene, where it's, some people call it the judgment scene, where Mackenzie's trying to decide which one of his kids he could punish forever. And he had to choose one, and he couldn't. And by, and and so then, so Sophia says, you know, why do you think God can do that? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that kind of became my lens. I started uh, writing those things down. I was writing mm-hmm. blogs uh, and recording those, and that's just the way writers think. Yeah. Usually, you know, they start yeah. to write, and that helps them figure out what they believe. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a had a couple of experiences like the tea shop which I explained in my book. Yeah. Uh, we had a premature grandson along with another granddaughter born and all the emotions that, that brings up. But what I ended up with was kind of what I wanted to is I, I ended up with a journal of what it feels like to go through a deconstruction. Hmm. And, you know, I wanted to not, not necessarily resolve all of those subjects that people think about, but I wanted to uh, investigate them mm. and just to kind of like I did, you know, with the, the study about the thing about homosexuals and the, and the message. I just want to do that out loud mm. and in front of people. And so what I ended up with was 16, 18 things. And, and I don't claim to have uh, fully resolved any of them. Mm. Um, but it it is a journal of my journey and hopefully that'll help other people get started mm. as you know as well as i do when people start that journey they just have all kinds of questions you know and uh, where do i get information about this and i wanted to provide as many of them as i can yeah and and let people um you know hopefully learn something from my struggle my journey and then continue on with theirs yeah that's really good and i'll I'll say for our listeners like 
I mean, just uh, maybe five to 10 pages into the book, I realized like this is not a book that's going to answer my questions as much as it's going to be uh, Carl showing me his journey and maybe even giving me language with which I can better wrestle with my own questions. So um, I feel like your book was very transparent and uh, really gave me an inside look at your own journey and your own life. So uh, Mm -hmm. definitely uh, a round of applause to you for sure. Thanks. Uh, Very good. Uh, So uh, of all the things that you wrote in the book um, about what being a father has kind of taught you about uh, the heart of God, what, what would be, what would you say is like your biggest aha moment? Like what's the, the one thing about your understanding of God, um, about faith that most radically changed as a result of um, looking at your children, um, raising your children, seeing your children grow and develop? Like what's the one thing that changed so radically that, I mean, maybe it would even get you thrown out of a church today. Like what, what's the biggest thing about God that's like, shoot, this is so much different than the way I used to think about it. Yeah, it probably doesn't uh, seem like a big thing. Yeah. Um, first of First of all, you know, I, I don't even know until the end of maybe the book that I, I, I it's in my introduction, but I, I don't think I really wrestle with hell till the end mm. of it. But I remember uh, wrestling really early on with the fact that God turns his back on us, mm. um, that God rejects us. Mm. And when I, when I wrestled with that, I, I looked at my children's life, you know, raising my children and in, during their teen years, that's one thing that I promised them I would never do. Mm. I, I could sense there's some rebellion. There's some things going to go south here, maybe a little bit. Mm. And so I sat down with each one of them and said, and promised them I would never do that. Mm. that I, would, I would never leave them. I'd never turn my back on them. You could always come home. And I know all parents don't do that. But um, when I did that, I think it gave them some assurance that mm. it was okay to make a mistake and that I was not going to reject them. And, and then I kind of applied that to God and said, what is God like? Is God like that? Um, and I found, you know, in the, in the garden in Genesis where um, God comes, when Adam and Eve mess up or however you interpret that story, mm. um, God comes looking for them mm. uh, in the garden. In the prodigal son, the, the father's waiting and running out to meet the son that's made mistakes. Mm. And, you know, I, I'm not God. I'm not a, people say, are you saying you're, you're a good parent? I said, well, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> the verdict's still out on that. Maybe <laughs> Sure. You know, I think it did, did okay. Uh, Cause I had a great wife, but God can't be worse than me. Mm. And I just remember um, as I was growing up when I was about seven, I remember understanding the message uh, probably for the first time in a Baptist mm. church. And I remember um, the guy convincing me that I was, um, you know, rejected by God. Mm. Um, and I, you know, I, I racked my brain and I, I thought about it even a couple of years ago. What could I have done at age seven, you know, that would make uh, uh, my parent God, you know, whether you consider him a father or mother or, whatever, just a mm. parent that would make a parent totally turn their back on their, ch- on their child. And I, I just refuse to, to believe that mm. anymore, that, that God doesn't 
reject us. Um, and along with that, so then that leads you into, uh, are we originally good? Or are we originally bad? Mm. And areas like that. Yeah, I think for me, the, I think having, having a, a child is probably, that's probably the biggest thing that's changed for me too, because I've always, you know, I, I grew up in the very conservative evangelical world and that idea of God turning his back on you or, um, you know, kind of losing, losing hope in you, so to speak, if you don't believe the right things. Like that was very apparent and very real in my faith. But I remember, I remember my, my daughter was born and she had to go to the NICU right away. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember standing over the, the, the tank and she's in there mm-hmm. and she's, I mean, she's so small. And mm-hmm. I remember looking at her thinking to myself, no matter what this child ever did to me, like I would never, ever turn my back on her, you know? Right. And I think for me, like that was a huge aha moment for me. And mm-hmm. I was already kind of in the middle of my deconstruction, kind of more internally. But I remember thinking to myself, like that theology cannot be right. Right. Yeah. yeah and then, you know, that led into my thoughts of, of why, would a, why would a God, why, why would a father, why would a parent... Uh, set up a system mm. that is doomed, you know, that you, you can't succeed, yet why would he get out of his mind angry about yeah. that and then, then punish us forever? And, yeah. and why, you know, there were, there, were times, there were times raising children, and if you don't know this, you will know this, but there are times that you're going to be very angry yeah. and disappointed and, and upset. Mm. Um, but when you lose it, which you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, whenever those things happen, when I would lose it, when my temper would get out of hand, mm-hmm. um, that's when my wife was, had a scared look in her eyes. It's when, um, yeah, it was very effective for me to get angry mm-hmm. and be like that, but it didn't accomplish anything noble. Yeah. It didn't it hurt our love relationship between each other. Mm. Uh, it didn't make them better people. Mm. It just scared them. Yeah. And, and so then, you know, then uh, in examining that, then I went into uh, fear and control, mm. which like it or not, most of our churches operate that way. Yeah. We have this, this fear um, built in, um, you know, that necessitates a control factor. Yeah. Right. And an easy answer and things like that. So, mm. yeah, I posted this thing on uh, Facebook today too, about, I think one of the, one of the verses that was always used to kind of talk about, you know, God giving up on somebody or, or whatever was like the story of Judas, you know, and how mm-hmm. Judas betrays Christ and he goes and he, he kills himself. And, I read this this quote from somebody, and they said that there was a bishop in somewhere in the, some kind of I think the Anglican Church, and he did this sermon, and he talked about how painted this picture. He said that it was like Ascension Day, Jesus goes into heaven. There's this huge party, and the angels are like, "Where'd Jesus go?" And he's out on a balcony, and they're like, "Jesus, what are you doing?" And he's like, "I'm standing here, and I'm waiting for Judas to come. Mm. He's just waiting for Judas to arrive at the party." And the idea was that he never, ever, regardless of what it is, never mm. turns his back on you. And I think that's, right. that's so beautiful. Right. Uh, so you have a, a chapter in your book called None of Us is Right. Mm. And I want to read a quote okay. uh, for our listeners. And then I want to ask you to kind of expand on it just a little bit. 
I okay. say when, when I'm too, when I am too certain and reject the mystery of faith in a God who spat in a man's eyes to heal him, uh, raised the dead to life and turned water into the best wine found anywhere on the planet. Certainty can and does lead to problems. So you mentioned that a little bit earlier, but talk to me more about this idea of, of losing certainty. Like, like how does, uh, how is losing your sense of certainty maybe cause you to have an increase in your depth of faith? Because like in my background, a lot of our listeners background, the idea of like losing certainty means that you're also losing your faith. The times in, on Facebook, for instance, that I've expressed mm-hmm. that, man, I'm not really too sure about this whole health thing. Mm-hmm. I'm not really too sure about how God feels about this. Well, I mean, the Bible says this. So, I mean, if you're right. wavering in your certainty, then that's, that's a problem. So talk to me about what that's looked like for you. Yeah. And first of all, I'll give a couple, give credit to a couple of people. Um, Pete Enns wrote a book. Um, first of all, one book called uh, The Bible Tells Me So, and the yeah. other one's called The Sin of Certainty. Mm. And I read those books early on that helped. But also then when I was going through spiritual direction training, um, it was with the sisters mm. at... Um, Mount St. Scholastica in Atchison, Kansas. That doesn't really matter. But uh, one of the sisters was teaching a class mm. and she just stood up at the blackboard and wrote that phrase on the board. And that's kind of where the, that chapter in the book comes from. Mm. She said, none of us is right. Mm. And, and it was just a statement that I will never forget. Mm. But um, certainty when we have to be, we, we have to be certain again, because uh, in those churches, there's, there's a fear and control, uh, a fear and easy answer. Mm-hmm. And it keeps us at an elementary level. Mm. And so um, I have to be certain because the fear is if I lose any one of these things, and it very well may be true, but uh, if I lose any one of these things that I'm certain about, then very quickly this is it's kind of a house of cards it's going to all fall down mm. to some degree that's true mm. um but i think uh some of those authors and some of my friends um, gave me the courage to put aside my certainty for a little bit mm. and um brian zahn would say just stay on the journey and be at peace mm. and say that over and over and over and over again to me Hmm. And so when I'm when I'm taking some of these things out, so I'm going to set that aside at least for now. Uh, what I discovered was that um, I found peace, hmm. and not just you know, not just kind of a superficial thing, you know, an absence of turmoil, but I, I started finding some real peace. Hmm. I started getting comfortable with mystery and paradox and. And some things, you know, that, that rationally I couldn't explain yet, but it was okay. Mm. Because here's what I discovered. Um, when I take that certainty box off of myself, that it's like a cage. But when I take that off, then I can get, that's why I was stagnant. Mm. That's why, you know, it's why my kids passed me up. Because my daughter, my daughter introduced me to podcasts. And the first one she showed me was, like an hour and a half long. I thought that was ridiculous. <laughs> right. And, and at the end of that podcast, they didn't resolve anything. Mm. 
And they said, well, yeah, we're still working on this. I was like, that's ridiculous, right? My <laughs> sure. age needs to know. <laughs> yeah. We know what the solution is to it. Mm. But many times I have a conversation with her, who's my youngest daughter, and she'll say, you know, I don't know. But mm. she's very smart. She's very uh, advanced, you know, mm. uh, yet, yet she can live with that certainty. When you live with that certainty, when you live with some uncertainty, uh, then you allow yourself to grow. Mm. You allow yourself to keep going down the road. Yeah. That certainty just locks you in uh, whatever box you're in. Mm. And someone said, you know, sometimes they say, uh, well, you need the faith of a child. Mm. Um, and, and sometimes conservative evangelicals use that to kind of pull you back. Um, but here's the thing about children is they ask questions mm. and they keep asking questions yeah. um, and they don't, they don't live with certainty. Um, they get comfortable with uncertainty. Yeah. Does that make any sense? That makes, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think as you're talking about that, I'm thinking about my, my daughter and how um, even, even like you can, there's a sense of uncertainty, whereas no matter, no matter how many times she might know something or be told something or do something, there's still this sense where she hasn't yet figured it out. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And I feel mm -hmm. like that's, that's a huge part of faith because, you know, no matter how many times we might have an experience with, with God or no matter how many times we might have an um, experience in our faith, it's like there's still more to learn about that experience. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. that that definitely ties into having the faith of a child yeah. for sure. And, and children just, they just accept that. Yeah. They, they accept that they don't fully understand it now. And then if you tell a child something like, you know, this is the best answer I can give you right now. Hmm. They, they totally accept that. Right. You know, they realize yeah. Yeah, we'll figure it out later. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, that allows them to keep growing. Yeah. That's so true. And I, I remind we have these uh, little statues on our uh, fireplace mantle of different scenes from the life of Jesus. And Jordan, our daughter, likes to look at them all the time. She'll say, take me over to, the, to Jesus. So we'll mm -hmm. go down the line. And she knows like the little stories, like this is Jesus walking on water. This is Jesus being baptized. We always get to the cross when he's on the cross. And I, this like anxiety builds up inside of me because She's like, you know, what's, what's that? And I said, well, that's Jesus on the cross. And she's like, well, why is he on the cross? You know, and the, mm. well, the people were mean to him. Oh, okay. You know, and that's time to go to the next yeah, one. And it's, it's like, that, that's now. enough yeah. of an answer for her. Mm. Whereas in my mind, I'm like, how am I going to build this theology for my mm, two-year-old, right. you know? And she doesn't, she doesn't care. Like, that's enough for her to know right now. And I think that's such a beautiful, such a beautiful picture of what faith yeah. can be. Yeah. I'm a real logical person, I, you know. Um, somewhat intellectual for a long time, but mm. just um, I think you know part of it is getting out of the cerebral, cerebral, yeah, however you say that word, cerebral, yeah, yeah something like that, <laughs> and kind of living from your heart. You know, what is it? What is it that gives me peace? Mm. You know, and I think I think we're afraid if we search for what gives us peace, we'll just look for things that make us feel good. Mm. Um, but that's not what your daughter's doing. I mean, she's just saying, uh, I, I want to learn. That's why I'm asking questions. But yeah. um, the answers I have right now are good enough. Mm. And I can set with that. And, and we got plenty of time. We're not in a hurry. Mm. 
I think too, and I don't know if this was the case for you, but I remember being a pastor and uh, I, I pastored a very uh, old Dutch reformed church. So mm-hmm. super conservative yeah. uh, bunch of people and denomination. And that was a time where I was definitely had a, a greater sense of certainty than I do now. But even aside, like I was still wrestling a little bit, but I remember mm-hmm. feeling there was a lot of anxiety around uh, having to be so certain. And a lot of the anxiety wasn't for me as a pastor, wasn't even so much about me being certain, but making sure everybody else around me was right. certain. And if right. one person like in the, in the congregation had like a question or, you know, somebody's quote, you know, wrestling with their faith, you know, the elder board starts talking about it. And it's like, there's all this anxiety that it, that it creates. And I think that mm-hmm. looking back on that time of my life, it's like a very unhealthy sense of anxiety. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I would think so because there's what thirty thousand Protestant denominations. Yeah, and you know, there's a there's a pretty good chance that you're not totally right. And I think you know that's what Sister Judith was getting at. Mm. Is you know, there's all these denominations. We've got all these thoughts and all these wise people thinking, and we still can't agree. Mm. So there's a possibility you're not right. Yeah. No, you didn't get it all right, and if you're depending on that, you may be in trouble. Mm. Yeah, I, I, value, I mean, I value the, you know, like the systematic theology classes that I had in school mm-hmm. and stuff. But like, yeah, when I look yeah. back, like I have my Wayne Grudem book on my shelf behind me, and it's this thick theology mm-hmm. book. And, mm-hmm. but it even felt like even in those days, like as much as I enjoyed those classes, it was like, this just feels like way too much of a neat, clean box for mm-hmm. me. Like, right. I feel like the moment I have God figured out, like, I'm not really dealing with God anymore. Yeah. yeah. So in all of your, your experience, and I kind of wrap up with this question, but in all of your experience of like deconstructing, uh, reconstructing, being in the space that you are now, having pastored at church, for all of our listeners right now who are kind of going through that season of deconstruction themselves, some of them are very early in the process, some are late. Some people are like, I know some people are like teetering on the edge, like maybe I'm just going to throw in the towel on all of this stuff completely. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would be your advice if you could go back and kind of speak to yourself now? Uh, beginning that process, being in that process, like what what would you say to that person who's who's listening right now? I think I might tell him something similar to what Brian told me. Um, he said, "Stay on the journey and be at peace." But mm. um, I would say, um, don't be in a hurry. Mm. And also, my Laura and I decided the other day just to to not go to church. Mm. And we were, we were afraid to do that, even though we'd pastored two churches and then took a couple of years off and went to mm-hmm. another church to attend. And then we started another church and then we went through deconstruction while we're attending another church. Mm. We never took any time off yeah. to just heal. Uh-huh. Um, I would say, you know, you're going to, you're going to feel like you're walking out into a desert and that's why my Facebook group now is called Desert uh, Sanctuary. Mm. Because number one, you will, you will feel that way. But number two, you're going to find there's a lot more people out there than what you think mm. that are going through exactly what you're going through. But I would say slow down. Yeah. And all of my practices now involve slowing down. Mm. Um, prayer is slower. Um, I didn't read the Bible for a while, mm. but then um, when I did, I, I 
took it much, much slower, hmm. you know? Yeah. And there's not that need to prove a point or, um, you, you know, find an answer so I can tell everybody hmm. what the answer is. It's just, it's just slowing down and letting it come to you. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's a beautiful reminder because I, I know for myself, you know, I, I like to have, I like to have answers. <laughs> I like to have mm-hmm. things figured yeah. out. And uh, sometimes that can uh, propel me to move way too fast. Um, even in the midst of deconstruction to try to figure mm-hmm. out, well, I just took this apart. I got to figure out what it means. I got to figure out how to put it back together and, mm-hmm. you know, to have the answers and, you know, two, you know, talking about church, like that's another thing is I think such a great reminder that sometimes you just need time to detox away from maybe the thing that might've hurt you or might've caused you a lot of anxiety, whether that be the Bible, whether that be church. And I'm glad that you said that because that makes me feel a lot better because my wife and I, we haven't been to church in over a year. And uh, we right. had been going like on and off to a couple of different churches. And it wasn't, it wasn't so much that like the churches weren't, didn't have nice people or, or whatever. Just like we had been through such traumatic experiences in church and mm-hmm. we never really gave ourselves the space. I don't think to heal. Mm-hmm. So I don't think, I don't think we're not like never going to go back to church, but I think this time away is giving us time to breathe, uh, Mm -hmm. gain, I think a deeper perspective and maybe just to realize like, you know, God, I was always taught, you know, God, God is in the church. That's the place where you experience him the most is in the Bible and in the church. Mm -hmm. And I think the time away from both of those things in the Bible, I didn't read for a while, uh, helped me to realize that I can experience God in a lot of other places than just Mm -hmm. those. those Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and you also have to understand that what people may need and what you need uh, is not necessarily answers. Yeah, um, we think we do, hmm. but sometimes what they need more than that is just encouragement. Hmm. Um, uh, you know, a, a rush to try to answer people's questions instead, hmm. maybe I just encourage them. Yeah, you know, and and encourage them to be patient and to. Like Brian said, stay on the journey. Yeah. Until the answers come. Yeah. And I think too, not feeling, even not feeling the pressure to answer the question, like you said, mm-hmm. but even, even throw it back to them. And like if somebody asks a question, uh, like, what, what about this? And you say, oh, I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah. And yeah. letting the dialogue kind of go from there. Right. Yeah. Cause I know as a pastor, and I'm sure you felt like this too. I always felt like I had to be the answer guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm the guy that went to school, I'm the guy that got the degree. So, People yeah. look at me and I should have an answer. So I better give them something mm-hmm. worthwhile to chew on. Yeah. yeah. And it's it, helpful. It, it really doesn't work in that situation to say, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. What do you, what do you think? <laughs> well, Carl, this has been great. Uh, before I let you go, where can people go to find you online? Where's the best place to find your book? Tell us more about this group that you have on Facebook. Where can people go to find that? Yeah, I, I used to call my stuff Carl's coaching and it really wasn't a one-to-one coaching thing as much as it was just sharing stories and, and trying to give people guidance, but I, I kind of realized it wasn't really describing it well enough. So I've, my, my website is called desert sanctuary. It's desert sanctuary.com. Hmm. If you enter Carl's coaching, like it used to be, it'll still go there. But also there's a, there's a Facebook group um, called desert sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And so now it all kind of matches up. It's good. Um, but all that kind of points to the website has my blogs, 
and my podcast kind of all mixed in together, but the podcast will come out on um, any of the podcast services. And so you can find those under Carl's coaching. They're just now starting to populate, you know, as desert sanctuary. So um, just look around, you'll find me. Awesome. The books, books are wherever books are sold. Um, the book's now out on audio. Okay. If you're so inclined that way. Uh, a lot of people, I think these days, listen to their books instead of read them. So um, whatever makes you happy, you have three <laughs> different options there. There you go. And are you working on any uh, new book? I know usually with authors, the moment they come out with a book, their publisher's like, hey, maybe you should write about this <laughs> as well. You got anything else going on soon? Yeah, I do. There's one that's pretty much written, but um, the chapter in the middle of the current book is called The Tea Shop. It's about an experience I had in Taiwan in a tea shop with a Buddhist and um, just taught me a lot about presence, um, the love of God, um, not having to evangelize and things like that. And so um, the, the publisher, my publisher, Choir, with a, and that's Choir with a Q, Mm-hmm. I look at that Q U O I R. They uh, uh, Ralph hasn't uh, given his full stamp of approval yet, but as soon as he gets a little time, he's looking at it. He's publishing a lot of books right now. So okay, well, that's we, what uh, I think's next. Awesome. Well, we'll be on the lookout for that for sure. So, uh, Carl, this has been great. Uh, thank you for for yeah. coming by. I really appreciate it. And we'll have you back again sometime, and definitely when that next book comes out. Yeah, you bet. Thanks, awesome, man. Bro. You're welcome. Have a good bye. one. Bye bye. Bye bye. Wish I had a mansion. Wish I was dressed some fancy. Wish I on a pot and so go with the rainbow. Got a Tom Clancy. Wishing I had no debt. Maybe then I can't flex. Go and hit a run. I'm a check. Wish I had no other sandbox beating on my chest. Wishing for my people. Wish I had more better leaders. Have enough to make our own land. Name my own picture. We bring our own sand. Where we live is so bland, so much we're high on demand. Tiptoe around throwing high lows, feel like James Brown, love we going here to dance. Let me talk, at the end of the day we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lock. Champion, going ahead, call the ambulance. So we said our own ambience, dub TTG, train to go. Let's talk, no rambling. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign, wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. Wish I had red bottles on my feet. Everything falls on me. Then I start clicking my heels to the ride. Did it speed? Need everyone to follow my speed. Let's close those more keys. Carolina Rose on freeze. Wishing I could fly to the keys. That will be more free. Something in my mind hit the dough. Put on my fresh fit. Uh. Toast Sir Charles, let's go. We about to go and get it. Uh. Let me talk. At the end of the day, we know who's at a fault. We got our hands up, ready for a box. Undisputed, got the own lot. Champions. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. Knowing that I can afford it. Knowing that I can afford it. It's real love. It's real love. But I just ignore it. It's all love. It's all love. But I just ignore it. Wishing I had something foreign. Wishing I had something foreign. 
knowing that I can afford it, knowing that I can afford it. It's real love, it's real love, but I just ignore it. It's all love, it's all love, but I just ignore it.